Welcome to Sabbath School Study Hour. This week, we are looking at the topic of God's grand Christ-centered plan. But before we get into that, I want to point you to our free offering that we have that goes along with our study today. It is a magazine titled, A Divine Design. And you can get this free book by calling the number 866-788-3966 and asking for offer number 902. If you're in the United States, you could also get it by texting the code SH, that stands for study hour, SH152 to the number 40544. If you're outside of the United States, you could get a free download of the magazine by going on the internet and typing in the URL study.aftv, that's amazingfactstv.org forward slash sh15. We are looking at our quarterly study on the book of Ephesians, and today we're in lesson number two, and if there was a subtitle that we would add to our study on Ephesians, it might be How to Follow Jesus in Trying Times. Friends, could we say we are living in trying times? Perhaps we all might not agree on that at the moment, but I think that we would agree that we are all heading towards a time of trouble. And so it may be that this study is very appropriate for the time in which we live. In Acts chapter 19, verse 8 through 10, and then again in chapter 20, verse 31, we find out that Paul had been working with the church in Ephesus for three years. Then in chapter 21, he goes to Jerusalem and he is arrested. In chapter 22 through 24, you, you see the, the plottings of the Sanhedrin against him. And then in chapter 25, Paul appeals to Caesar. And then in chapter 27, you see Paul beginning his journey towards Rome. And so most historical writings place Paul arriving into Rome in 61 AD, in the spring of that year, where he would become a prisoner for two years. And so it is likely that the epistle to the Ephesians was written in approximately 62 AD. Now, arguably, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians could be considered the best, most systematic theology of the church. And yet this quality does not mean that the book of Ephesians is cold, theoretical, detached, or an abstract theological construct. But rather, 
it describes the church in a real living context in its relationship with Christ while they are doing the work that God had called them to do. And today in our study, we are going to focus the majority of our time in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So why don't you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. In this section that we're going to look at today, we discover that there are a majority of Christians today that teach that there are some people who are predestined to be saved and there are others that are predestined to be lost. And let's see where they get that from. Look with me in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the beloved. And so these are the verses that many pastors and teachers and so-called theologians today take and they say, because it says that we are predestined there, they say that there are some that are predestined to be saved, there are others that are predestined to be lost, and that there's nothing that you can do about that to change it. To those who have that view, I would simply say this. I respectfully disagree. And we're going to see why here in a moment. First of all, uh, I want you to look with me again at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. First of all, I want you to notice that Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, what Paul is saying there is that we should bless God. God is to be blessed. And why? Because He first blessed us. Well, family, I don't know about you, but that immediately reminds me of the verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, where John says that we love God because He first loved us. And so we understand that God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our adoration. God is worthy to be blessed. And why? Because He first blessed us. But that really um, should cause us to look deeper into that verse. Let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in heavenly places in Christ. And so we really, that begs of us the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, I'd like to think about that for a moment. And I'd like to go back to the time of Noah building the ark and the flood. The place for someone to be saved from the flood of Noah's day was in the ark that Noah had built. There were only eight souls that were saved in that location. And so if we are going to be saved from our sins, and that's what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin are death, and so we need to be saved from that, you would have to be where all of the spiritual blessings are. And we just read where all of those spiritual blessings are. They are in Christ. So I want you to notice what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul said, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, John says, And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in the Son. And then in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, we read, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were also baptized into his death? And so it is evident that you must be baptized into Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 confirms that. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so I want you to notice again here in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, that Paul says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and he also says in heavenly places. And so that shouldn't surprise us that the blessings are in heavenly places because that's where Christ himself is located at the present time. Now look with me here in Ephesians chapter 1, let's look at verses 4 through 6 again. Just as He, that is God, chose us in Him, that is Christ, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, brothers and sisters, 
Paul's readers would have previously, that is, prior to them accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they would have previously regarded themselves as being predestined by the stars and by the planets which they regarded as their gods. But now, the idea that God has offered to act uh, on their behalf and provide for them a different future would have been to them good news. And so Paul is not indicating here that you have no choice in the matter or that salvation is not accessible to everyone. But rather, Paul's emphasis is on God's gracious, predetermined purpose. It is true that the passage indicates that there are certain ones who are chosen before the foundations of the world and being predestined or ordained or adopted as children. But it says nothing about others being chosen to be lost. And furthermore, chosen, those who are chosen are designated as us. Did you catch that? Look with me in verse 4 again. Paul says, just as he chose us, right? And so he's talking to Christians. That's, who's, that's who Paul is writing to. Those who by faith have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, before the foundation of the world, when the plan of salvation was being laid out, it was determined by God that those who accepted the provision of His plan, that they would be restored to sonship. They would be restored to a relationship with Him. That's what God's desire was. And I want you to notice that it says that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says, God desires for all mankind to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul says, For whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. I want you to notice there that Paul says that God foreknew. In other words, before it happens, God knows how you're going to choose. God knows before it happens who is going to repent from their sins. And these He predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. These He foreordained that they should be saved. And just because God knows 
before it happens doesn't mean that he manipulates it or that he takes away our freedom to choose. I remember years ago there was a a college football game that I really wanted to watch. And something was going on and and I couldn't be home and so I recorded the game. And I told everybody, don't tell me, don't tell me who who won. And, And I got home and I turned the TV on and before I could get the recording started, there was an advertisement or something, there was somebody talking that said, who won the game? And I was very upset. And so I knew before I even watched the game who was going to win. But brothers and sisters, guess what? When I watched the game, it didn't change the outcome that I already knew ahead of time. And the same is true with God. He already knows who's going to choose. He already knows who's going to save because His plan has covered that for them to be saved. But that doesn't change the outcome. Now, let me say it a different way. Divine foreknowledge and divine predestination in no way excludes human liberty. Nowhere in the Bible does Paul or any other writer suggest that God has predetermined that there are some that will be saved and others that will be lost. The choice is ours. God has already provided the way for all to be saved but he lets each person choose for themselves whether they want to spend eternity with him or not. Now let me see if I can illustrate it yet another way. My wife and I have four children. And I love my children very much. And I want to have a relationship with my children. But they're all grown up. They're moved out of my house They have children of their own. They make their own choices. And I desire to have a relationship with them, but I cannot force them to love me back. It is their choice whether or not they want to have a relationship with me. And the same is true with God. This is God's grand Christ-centered plan. And so when the Bible says that we are in Christ or that it is by Christ or through Christ, it is simply saying that He is the agent of the plan of salvation. He is the mediator between God and man, just like it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Far from being an angry God who requires appeasement, God the Father is working through, He's working in, He's working by Christ to accomplish His purpose. And what is His purpose? It is the salvation of man. And Paul says that it was to... God's good pleasure to devise 
and to put into operation the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, the plan of reconciliation, God's amazing plan of atonement. All of those are different words describing the same work of Christ. And so whereby as many fix their faith in Christ Jesus, they should be accepted into the family of God, adopted into his family, just like it says in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Just like it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. In other words, God doesn't predestine some to be saved and some to be lost, but God has, has provided the way that all can be saved. And he says to everyone, Come. Come, drink of the waters of life. Come. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing that we can do that is so bad that God can't forgive us if we will but come to Him and repent of our sins. I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 7 and 8. Paul says, In Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. I want you to notice there that Paul says, in Him. In other words, in Christ, we have redemption. That word redemption could also be a buying back, a ransom or a deliverance. God wants to deliver us from the penalty of sin, which is death. And so... In Him, we have that deliverance. In Him, we have that buying back. In Him, we have that ransom that is paid on our behalf. Now, I want you to hold your place here in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to come back here, but I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And I want you to notice something that Paul says to the church in Rome. Notice, starting in verse 24, Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Paul says, in speaking of us, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed 
to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We see here that Paul says to the church in Rome essentially the same thing that we're going to read in a moment back in Ephesians chapter 1. He says in a little bit different way, he says in verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ by His blood. Now we understand, don't we, that in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it tells us that the life is in the blood. In other words, the spilled blood of Christ represents the life that has been laid down to redeem man. And I love the way that the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Go back there and look at it with me. And let's see how he says it to the Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 7. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. It's basically the same thing that he said to the Romans. But then notice here in verse 7, Paul goes on to say, The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that His goodness leads to repentance? In, in Romans Chapter 3, we saw that we have redemption through His blood. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, we see that we have redemption through His blood. And then he adds the words, the riches of His grace. I love it when Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, I will let my goodness pass before you. The riches of God's grace and or the riches of His goodness it, it, it not only supplies our need, but it overflows into additional gifts. And then Paul adds in verse 8, which He made to abound towards us. That word abound can also mean to lavish upon us. The riches of God's grace not only supplies our needs, but it also overflows into those additional gifts. And then Paul adds at the end of verse 8 there, he says, which he made to abound towards us, in all wisdom and prudence. Family, God's wisdom is higher than our wisdom. God's ways are higher than our ways. God has a grand Christ-centered plan for how man can be saved from his sins and restored to a relationship with God. 
But what are God's ways? They're higher than our ways. His wisdom is higher than ours. I love Psalm 77, verse 13, which says, Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. So if we're going to truly understand God's grand Christ-centered plan, if we are going to truly understand God's amazing atonement plan, then we have to understand the earthly sanctuary service and the rituals that were performed and the greater spiritual realities that all of those things were pointing to. In John chapter 5, the Pharisees were giving Jesus a hard time. And then in verse 39, Jesus said to them, You search the Scriptures daily, because in them you think you have life. But these are they that testify of me. In other words, Jesus was saying that all of those rituals, all of of that sanctuary service, all of the symbols and patterns were actually pointing to Him. And so as we go back and we look at the sanctuary service, we see that that uh, that service that, that the Israelites performed day after day after day when they brought their lamb and they confessed their sins and that, that lamb was sacrificed and the, the lamb was placed on the brazen altar and the blood was taken into the sanctuary. That lamb couldn't save anyone. But it was symbolically pointing forward to the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would eventually come and take uh, uh, your penalty upon Himself and lay down His life for you. And so those lambs pointed to Jesus. And, And then those priests that were collecting that blood... And those priests that, that uh, took that lamb and laid it on the brazen altar and then took that blood into the sanctuary, into the first compartment, and they sprinkled that blood and there they, they ministered on behalf of the nation, those priests were also symbolically pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus is represented in the sanctuary service as being both the offering and the offerer. And then we look at the brazen altar, and when that lamb that was sacrificed was placed on the brazen altar and it was uh, consumed, that was also pointing to Jesus. That was pointing to the cross and the death in which Jesus would die for you and me. And so all of this sanctuary service, it was all pointing to Christ. The atonement that He is accomplishing on our behalf, the reconciliation, the plan of salvation, it is all Christ-centered. It is God's grand Christ-centered plan. Niels Eric Andreessen 
was a professor of Old Testament studies, and he was the president of Andrews University from 1994 to 2016. And in talking about the atonement, at one point in his ministry career, he gave a definition of atonement. And this is what he said. Atonement, also atoning or to atone, is the concept of a person taking action to correct previous wrongdoing on their part, either through direct action to undo the consequences of that act, equivalent action to do good for others, or some other expression of feelings of remorse. I really want to focus on this definition because there are many different definitions of atonement. But what Andreessen is saying here is something that really should catch our attention. I want to repeat it to you, so let me read it again. Atonement is the concept of a person taking action to correct previous wrongdoing on their part. Now, that's a good definition of atonement, except when we're talking about a fracture in a relationship between God and man. Man has sinned and... According to Andreessen's definition, atonement is the concept of a person taking action to correct previous wrongdoing. Man can't do that. There's nothing that man can do to correct the mistake that they've made for man. So I would add to Andreessen's uh, definition of atonement that it is God who is making atonement for man since man is not able to make atonement for himself. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says to the Romans in chapter 11, verse 25. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Here we see that Paul is telling us there's a, there's a mystery. And the mystery is that there's a blindness on the part of Israel and that is on purpose until a certain time. Now I really wanna slow down here and I wanna unpack this verse. Because this verse is going to be critical for our understanding of God's grand Christ-centered plan. And Paul tells us that it is God's will for us to know, to know it. So look with me again. It says... In verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will. And then verse 10, that in the dispensation, now I want to stop right there. That word dispensation simply means 
in a theological sense, a distinctive arrangement or period in history that forms the framework through which God relates to man. In other words, that word dispensation simply means the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, the plan of reconciliation, the plan of atonement, and that it was accomplished in various times and frameworks. Because notice what Paul says there, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. I want you to notice what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth His Son. What Paul is telling us there is that there was a certain time frame that God was looking for in order to have things play out the way He expects them to, to bring about the birth and the life and the baptism and the death of His Son. And so Paul is telling the Galatians that it was in the fullness of time, the singular. In other words, it was one single event. At the appropriate time, Jesus was born. That was one time a certain event. But now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and now he uses the plural. And I want you to notice what the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, volume 6, page 1000, has to say about that. It says the plural, that's of the word times, suggests a succession of time periods or seasons. The entire gospel ages seem to be comprehended here. As there are appropriate times for the sowing of the seed and the gathering of the harvest, there are also suitable seasons for God's activities in connection with the redemption of man. There are some things that could be accomplished at one time and not at another because he is dealing with beings who are free moral agents whom he will not even attempt to force into compliance with his purposes. Through the ages, there have been successive unfoldings, that's the dispensation, of the plan of God, stages of development leading up to the final consummation when there will be a universal unity. So let's look at that verse again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ Jesus, both which are in heaven and are which and the earth in him. Family, that is God's grand Christ-centered 
plan. And this is the greatest definition of atonement that we will be able to find. There are many people who have given a definition of atonement, and you can look at all of those, but if you put all of those definitions that people have given together, it will culminate into this one very simple definition that is given to us in one sentence. God gathering together all things into one in Christ Jesus. That's God's grand Christ-centered plan. This is His divine purpose, the restoration of a relationship that has been broken. God's redemptive plan, God's amazing atonement of lost unity. And it must necessarily be in Christ because He is the center of all things. All things were made by Him and for Him, and He upholds all things by the power of His Word. He is the center of the church, and He is the supreme hope of the church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the Christian life is no solitary adventure into the kingdom of God. The Christian is to be a member of a community. You are to be a part of the body of Christ. The unity of God's universe has been broken by sin. And the mystery of His will was his plan to restore this unity when the occasion was ready. A restoration to be accomplished through and in and by Christ. That mystery will find its culmination at the end of the great controversy when all things in heaven and earth are united in one in Christ and the character of God will be vindicated in the hearts of His people for all eternity. Now look with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Brothers and sisters, are you looking forward to your inheritance? Perhaps there's somebody who is uh, listening today who you have received an inheritance from someone that has died in your family. And you can recall the, the joy, the excitement, the privilege that you had of, of receiving an inheritance from a family member. But each of us needs to understand that we are already in possession of our inheritance by faith, by promise. Your inheritance come to, comes to you as a right by the adoption that is mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. This inheritance is in Christ. It was purchased by His blood. Now look with me starting in verse 12. That we 
who first trusted Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I want you to notice here, friends, that, that Paul uses two metaphors here to represent the work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you were sealed by God, identifying the presence of God in your life at your conversion. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, Ezekiel says, The Lord said to, to, to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all of the abominations that are done within it. In this verse, we see that God put his seal or his mark on certain people to set them apart as his possession and to keep them from destruction. If you go and you read Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, you'll see that it says the same thing. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 66, we see that the Romans put a seal on the tomb of Jesus. This is very uh, similar to John chapter 6, verse 27, where John was told to seal up the words of prophecy. Very similar, again, to the concept of Abraham's circumcision, serving as a sign and a seal of his righteousness. If we put all of this together, we see that in the scriptures, a seal communicates ownership, protection, and a validation of the relationship. And so the Holy Spirit is the Christian's seal. He seals his people. God's own spirit comes and dwells within you, takes up residence on the inside of the believer, and the promised Holy Spirit identifies God's people as his inheritance. So not only is it talking about you receiving an inheritance, but it's talking about God, his inheritance as well. And the experience of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is proof to them and demonstration to others as to the genuineness of their faith. The Holy Spirit provides the inward assurance that we belong to God as His children. The second metaphor that Paul uses in that passage is that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. That word guarantee is, is indicating 
a first installment, a deposit, or a down payment that requires the payer to make additional payments. And in this case, God is the payer and you are the receiver. And so, in a sense, it proves that we have already received a portion of our inheritance, and that's why there's a guarantee that there is more to come. And so our job as the receiver is simply to be grateful and to have a submissive heart and to receive, to accept what God has offered to us in Christ. Now, friends, in these last moments of our study this morning, I would like to do a quick review of what we should have learned from our topic study this week. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who look at Ephesians chapter 1, specifically in verses 3 through 14, and they see that there are some people that are predestined to be saved, so then they naturally assume, well, if there are some that are predestined to be saved, then there must be some that are predestined to be lost. But what we've learned in our study today is that the Bible does not indicate that. It simply indicates that God predestined for all of us to be saved. God planned, God provided for all to be saved. But there are some that God knows they will not accept His gift. They will not repent of their sins. And so God knows ahead of time who's going to choose and who's not, but that doesn't change the outcome. God doesn't manipulate that in any way. The second thing that we learn in our study today is that our God is a relational being. He is referred to by Paul here in Ephesians as our Father. We are referred to as His adopted children. We are referred to as co-heirs with Christ. Christ is the only begotten Son. He is the true heir, but we are co-heirs with Him because God has adopted us into his family if we have surrendered our will to him. And the third thing that we see is that God honors human choice and responses of faith. God doesn't force anyone. He has provided the way. He has made it possible for all to be saved. In fact, the Bible's very clear. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We read that earlier. I want you to notice in the book Steps to Christ, page 68, it says this. In the matchless gift of His Son, 
God has encircled the whole world with an atmosphere of grace as real as the air which circulates around the globe. All who choose to breathe this life-giving atmosphere will live and grow to the stature of men and women in Christ Jesus. Friends, I want you to imagine that I give you a gift. And that gift is wrapped up in beautiful paper and it has ribbons and bows and, and it has your name on it. And I give you that gift and I take it and you take it home and you put it on your kitchen table. And every day you walk by and you look at that gift, but you never open it. That gift is of no value to you. It is only when we accept the plan of salvation, the grand Christ-centered plan, God's amazing atonement plan, God's reconciliation plan, His salvation plan, His atonement plan. It is only when we accept the provisions that He has provided for that He has predestined us to be saved. And so the choice is yours. And I hope and I pray that you will choose wisely. I want to close today by reminding you of our free offer that goes along with this study. It is a magazine titled A Divine Design. And you can get this book by calling the number 866-788-3966 and asking for offer number 902. If you're in the United States, you can also get it by texting the code SH152 to the number 40544. And if you're outside of North America, you can get a free download of this magazine by going to study.aftv.org forward slash SH152. Brothers and sisters, God bless you. And have a great day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Oh, loving Father, thank you that you have a grand Christ-centered plan. And it is offered to all of us. You haven't left any of mankind out. So Lord, if we accept that plan, if we live according to your statutes, your commandments, your uh, will for our lives, we can spend eternity with you. And Lord, that's the desire of our heart. You've promised us that if we remain connected to you, you'll give us the desires of our heart. And so, Lord, we claim that promise now and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.